so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve here as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the weekly tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the public square. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weekly tech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Coleman Ford to talk about his new book, A Bond Between Souls, Friendship and the Letters of Augustine from Lexham Press. Today, we discuss the life and work of St. Augustine, as well as his understanding of friendship. Dr. Ford serves as an assistant professor of humanities at Texas Baptist College in Fort Worth. His research interests include the spirituality and pastoral theology of Augustine of Hippo, the transcendentals, as well as virtue ethics in the patristic tradition. He also focuses in Christianity and late antiquity, as well as the history of Christian spirituality and formation. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Coleman, thank you so much for joining us here on the Digital Public Square. As we get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. What kind of piqued your interest specifically in doing doctoral work, but specifically kind of focusing in on Augustine and a theology of friendship? Yeah, Jason. Well, first, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, Excited to talk about this. I mean, Augustine being, I think, one of the most pivotal figures in uh, all theology, but also one that is often lumped into uh, different categories. A lot of times he's a controversialist, depending on who you're talking to. You know, he engaged in certain theological battles. Sometimes he's kind of this, uh, you know, he's got certain doctrinal things that we don't want to talk about. He believed in baptizing babies. Oh man, we can't talk about that. You know, he believed in some weird things as far as how the government should interact with schismatic groups. Man, that sounds weird. But I guess to answer your question, the reason that I wanted to engage in Gustin is because I felt like in so many ways, I saw my story in his, uh, and specifically in Confessions, which is just a foundational classic of Western literature, let alone a deep work of theology and spirituality. And so what interested me in Augustine was just my personal journey. Uh, one who, like Augustine, was reared in the church, you know, kind of loosely. I mean, he basically had a very uh, pietistic mother, Monica, who insisted on him going to church as much as possible. He had a pagan dad, Patrick, who was just concerned with the things of this world. And you see in Augustine in his confessions, kind of a sort of floating through life early on. 
and, and then eventually kind of getting used to or serious about philosophy and then eventually, you know, the Lord pricking his heart and kind of helping him see how Christ is, is, is the true wisdom and true philosophy. Uh, but yeah, it just, it really, it really connected with me and it has, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. It's connected with thousands of people uh, throughout the ages. And so when I thought about doctoral work, uh, one, I was in seminary in full-time ministry and was really loving studies, reading books, you know, nerding out on all sorts of stuff. Took a class with a scholar by the name of Jeffrey Bingham, who is on faculty uh, with me at Southwestern Seminary here, uh, and just became enraptured with church history. This fact that church history did not start with uh, whatever denomination (laughs) that I was in uh, or whatever church that I was a part of. Church history has a long, rich, yes, tumultuous, but long, rich history of thinkers, men and women who were seeking to honor the Lord in their time uh, with their thoughts and with their lives. And uh, yeah, that just excited me. So I wanted to dive in deeper, Augustine being a person that I felt like uh, I could read and really gain insight from and be sustained by for the duration of not only my doctoral studies, but really for the rest of my Christian uh, life and ministry, so to speak. So yeah, that, that's how this thing kind of came about. And then when you read Augustine, Again, a lot of people could read them in different angles, different ways. Uh, and I had felt like I had never seen anyone talk about the way he had personal relationships. Now, of course, as you start thinking about it, you see that, well, actually other people have thought about that and written on that. But just this idea of friendship in Augustine was so intense, um, more than I had read in any other theological literature. Uh, of course, soon to discover there's a long tradition of that. But there was something there that I felt like I was missing in my own life. Uh, I felt like our culture, even our Christian culture was missing uh, in its expression of relationship. And I wanted to know just more about that, both historically, philosophically, and then through the mind and writing of Augustine. And so, yeah, that's how that began and was able to write on that, do a lot of research, countless hours of writing, editing, re-editing, and then yeah, I was able to, to put together a dissertation on that, was able to do that and really enjoyed that process. Well, it's a really great work. And one of the things that I like about this, and this is a really interesting series with Lexham, uh, where they're publishing a lot of these monographs that many dissertations turned into books, um, but are really kind of hitting some really interesting topics. Um, and that's the thing that I was excited about this, not only learning a little bit more about Augustine, but specifically about friendship, um, because that's a topic that is talked a lot about in recent years, especially with digital technologies and kind of the constant connection we have with one another. Um, but what is a Christian vision of friendship? And we'll get to that. Um, but before we do that, I think you're right to say that, you know, obviously Augustine has been such a pivotal figure within the church um, and even just kind of the Western philosophical tradition in general. Um, And I think many of us have heard of him, and we may know a little bit about him, maybe some of the controversies, maybe City of God or Confessions or something like that. But many of us may not actually know him as a man. So I wanted to see if you could kind of unpack for us a little bit. For listeners who may not be super familiar with Augustine, not only as as the man, but also theologian and leader, if you could help us to understand a little bit of him and the context in which he inhabited and then why do you think he's had such a kind of a lasting influence and uh, shaping influence on the church today? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, most people, as you mentioned, right, they'll think of confessions 
city of God, which probably gives people nightmares because it's so big. But when you think about Augustine and who he is, of course, the, the reason he wrote Confessions, uh, there's, there's probably multiple reasons. Scholars kind of debate why exactly he wrote Confessions. Uh, but, you know, if we want to just think about the basic way in which Augustine is writing, he, I mean, he's writing a, a prayer of praise to God for saving him, uh, for calling him out and, and bringing him back to himself. I mean, the famous line in the first book, first chapter is, you know, uh, we, we, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in, in him. And, and there's, a, there's a whole philosophical tradition of kind of that idea of rest and our soul and things like this, and which Augustine very much knew uh, and was kind of tapping into. But of course, with Augustine's life, uh, his thought, his philosophy is baptized uh, with Christian scripture and the witness of Christ and, and the apostles. And so, you know, so when you think about confessions, it's not a straight biography uh, in the sense that maybe we're used to today. It's not a specific recounting of all the details of his life. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about how God paved the way for him to know who he is and to reflect upon God's goodness and his grace and his character. And there's so much more things in there. But as you think about that question of Augustine, the man, the person, Confessions is, of course, on the reading list to think about. Uh, but I thought, you know, especially in, in, in an antiquity setting where you don't have these uh, digital technologies, these instant communications, um, what you have and which we still have today in some form, although most people don't do this anymore, is letter writing. Uh, I mean, letter writing was a staple uh, of communication. And for Augustine, he was someone who saw, and it's a tradition, not just Augustine, but you see it in Augustine, who, who the letter itself is an image of the person. It's as if you're knowing that person in some sense as you read the letter. In fact, he says this in numerous letters as, as people are responding to him, and he's, he's writing to other people that the language of, uh, it's as if you were here with us as we read your letter. So that kind of idea of that presence of the person being with them as they read the letter. And so as you read these letters of Augustine, they're, again, they're not going into autobiographical detail, but what they are doing is they are revealing the concerns uh, of a person. They are revealing some context of which he is writing. It certainly demonstrates, in my opinion, his pastoral uh, sensitivities. And then, yeah, as I talk about in the work, it is a vehicle for friendship uh, and very intimate, specific friendship language is used in a number of different places with a number of different groups of individuals. And so uh, to know the man is really, I think, to read those letters. It's also another place that I would recommend people going to is, is some sermons. There's some very interesting, almost frank detail about his context and his person uh, in his sermons. Uh, I think of one sermon, I think uh, it's Sermon 339, where he talks about how kind of his calling of the, the pastor, his pastoral calling, and he uses the language of the gospel terrified me. Uh, and I remember reading his sermons at one point, just feeling so surprised by that language. The gospel terrified me. Well, what he means by that is the implications of the gospel terrified him. What did that mean? Well, that means he had to give up the desires of, uh, of this world. Uh, for the sake of Christ. And so he's using this language and he's talking about just this, uh, different things as far as his life and his, and his calling. But also in his sermons, you see how he kind of gets frustrated at people who aren't listening <laughs> to his sermons. Uh, I mean, sermons in the fourth and fifth century 
could have easily gone for two hours. People are standing. Uh, it's a totally different context than you see in a typical church today. And so, of course, people are going to probably get a little antsy. Uh, so, yeah, there's just cool little things that you see here and there. But at the end of the day, I think what I love about Augustine is his desire to honor the Lord. And I don't agree with a lot of points of theology on Augustine. I, I agree with the, uh, some of the major things, I think, that are uh, foundational for Christian theology. But I do love his expression of humility throughout his works and his uh, on the Trinity. He talks about, hey, this is, this is the best of my reflection that I can give. And this is the, my paraphrase. This is the best of the reflection on a very deep topic that I can give. Someone may come along and write something different. If you like what they say, go with that person. Uh, but at least he talks about this journey, like walk along with me in this journey, at least listen to me, what I have to say. And then at the end of his life, he writes a book called uh, The Revisions, where he just goes back and he's not retracting things. It's called retractionis in the Latin, but it's really just going back and looking at his corpus again and saying, hey, I wrote this when I was, you know, 35, kind of thought this, now I think differently. Or, hey, this book was helpful. Uh, or When I wrote this book, people said it was helpful. And he just kind of gives some other additional reflections on it. So it's just this idea of saying, hey, look, everything I write may not always be helpful. And in fact, I just want to be humble enough to say this is the best I can do. I've learned a lot from that, I think. I hope I have. And so that's just an aspect of his humanity that comes out in ways that you don't necessarily hear in kind of popular sort of renditions of Augustine. Or maybe if you read, you know, kind of a, a quick biography or, or blog about Augustine, some of those things may not, may not come through. But that's what I appreciate about him. Before we dive into kind of his theology of friendship, I want to dig in a little bit on that point, because one of the things I know you do in the classroom and that I also do in the classroom is talk about kind of epistemic humility, not only the limits of what we do know, but also being humble enough to admit that we may be wrong. And I really liked how you kind of pointed that out with Augustine and the in the retractions where he's kind of going back and like looking at some of the things and I don't totally agree with myself and kind of I think sometimes scholars may be even fearful of doing something like that. Uh, to kind of go back to your old work. I know some things I've written previously, I don't want to go back and read because I don't want to realize how wrong I was and what little I did know. But I wanted to see if you could kind of unpack that a little bit about kind of that role of humility in not only in Augustine, but kind of how that's kind of shaped your interpretation, not only of him, but also kind of of your own teaching ministry. Yeah. Well, again, I, I hope I'm, I really hope I'm imbibing that. I really hope that I'm able to do that. I'm sure there are times where I'm, blind to that in ways that I, I, I shouldn't be. But what I think has been helpful for me in how Augustine has expressed his writings and others as well, I think, but is that it's a journey of learning. It's a process of growth. If we want to use a doctrinal word, you can say sanctification. Uh, we are growing in our understanding of God, our ability to express the things of God, and uh, we're growing in our practice of spirituality, disciplines, things like this. And so there is, there, there's this desire, I think, from Augustine to see this as not the final point. Uh, we're, we're not where we are supposed to be. Uh, and the best scholars that I've learned from, maybe some the same ones that you've learned from, Jason, uh, express that in their life and in their, their writing uh, to know that, hey, at this point in my life, let's say I'm 45 and I've got 20 years of schooling and teaching under my belt or whatever, this is the best that I have as far as this work of theology. And it, may, it, it shouldn't be the end-all be-all. Uh, and it should be something that makes sense for today and what I'm thinking, maybe addressing the questions of the day. 
But in 20 years from now or after that, it, it, it may, may look different. Uh, and it probably should look different uh, if we're taking theology seriously, specifically theology for the church. And so, yeah, I think that's something else to remember just broadly as you read early Christian sources, uh, you know, roughly speaking, second through fifth or sixth century, kind of that what's called the patristic era. Uh, certainly, there's some theological moves that some of those individuals are making that I don't agree with, but I didn't live in the third century, right? I didn't live in the time of Constantine, 325. I hope I would have thought about things a little better than perhaps Eusebius, who seems to have put Constantine on this pedestal next to Christ, but I'm prone to do the same things. I'm prone to put certain individuals next to Jesus and perhaps even higher than Jesus and most likely even put myself on that pedestal if I'm not careful. And so really reading Augustine and really just the the broad Christian tradition should be an exercise in humility for a Christian to say, these are men and women who I think, broadly speaking, were seeking to be faithful to the gospel, who actually probably knew their Bible better than us, may have had a slightly different way of reading it, or had it memorized, had it in their, their blood, so to speak, in their veins, and were seeking to address problems that they saw in their day. And so when we look back and we have a sort of smug attitude of like, oh man, I wish, uh, I mean, I could have done better or how idiotic for these people to think this way. You know, I, I don't know if maybe someone's going to say that about me a hundred years from now. And so I just need to have the humility to say, let me be as faithful as I can. Let me prayerfully pursue these things. Think about them slowly and deeply with an open Bible, with wise Christian counsel around me. Uh, good friends, going back to that topic, and pray that the Lord would use whatever I produce, whatever I teach, whatever I write for his glory to serve the people of 2023, right? Or whatever year I'm in, and therefore uh, not think that uh, I've got it mastered or somehow I'm I'm the top of my game or something like that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what C.S. Lewis famously dubbed chronological snobbery. Uh, where we often go, we often look at especially pre-modern sources and even some of the early church figures and how look look how they missed this or missed that, missed that. I think it's important what you noted. You know, I didn't live in the third century. I wasn't facing the pressures that these people were facing. I wasn't dealing with the issues that they're dealing with. And I think that kind of humble posture is not only we can look back and go, hey, man, they actually got a lot of things right. Maybe they're seeing things that I'm missing because of my culture and context, and I can see things they may have missed because of their culture and context. But also that kind of reminder that, you know, they're dealing a lot of things that we deal with today. And we talk a lot about this here on the podcast is a lot of the issues that we face today really aren't all that new. Um, often they're just in light of some new opportunities, new ways of doing things that, you know, we've done from the very beginning of time. But as we kind of shift gears a little bit, shifting into Augustine's theology of friendship, you've talked a little bit about his letters. You've talked a little bit about City of God and some of the other major works. And obviously in this book, you focus on his letters, on that epistolary literature. And I wanted to see before we dive into that, though, is he's in, in a context. He's being influenced by what you dub kind of the classical notions or classical understandings of friendship, that this isn't a new topic that Augustine's just kind of discovering. It's maybe discovering it for himself um, and how he's seeing this play out in his own life. But there's kind of a rich literature and a rich history of focusing on friendship from Aristotle and Plato and others. And I want to see if you could kind of orient us a little bit to some of those classical notions or classical ideals of friendship before we kind of dive into kind of Augustine's contribution to that. 
So Augustine obviously uh, was one who, prior to Christ, was siege- I mean, you read this in, in Confessions, uh, searching out different philosophical schools to attach himself to, different religious schools. Uh, so he, he, for a little bit, he follows the skeptics. He has uh, obviously a, a, a pretty big introduction to the Platonists, which would be what we call now the Neoplatonists of Porphyry and Plotinus. But then he also encounters uh, a writing by the Roman orator Cicero. Uh, we don't have the writing anymore, uh, except in fragmentary forms from other authors uh, called the Hortensius, which really spurned him on to wisdom, uh, this idea of pursuing wisdom. I mean, he's an 18-, 19-year-old young man, uh, and he finally kind of gets this, catches the fire of, of wisdom. Uh, but Cicero and others that, uh, that I mentioned have within them uh, other writings that speak very specifically about friendship. Cicero has one. Plato has a short dialogue called the Lysis on friendship. Uh, and as you mentioned, Aristotle and his Nicomachean Ethics uh, has a pretty extensive discussion on friendship and, and others as well uh, in different philosophical schools. And every one of them has a basic notion of friendship, but has some variations on which they describe it. Plato kind of has a pretty open-ended sort of, well, we know friendship exists, but we can't really explain it. Aristotle wants to try to explain it, so he does, and, and he, has, he provides some helpful categories, kind of a three-tiered category that we might uh, could talk about if we needed to. Uh, and then Cicero provides a definition that Augustine reflects on most consistently, and that's that friendship, or friends rather, have agreement in all things human and divine uh, and goodwill towards one another. So kind of a basic understanding of, hey, if you're friends, we're going to agree on these things. Uh, human and divine. And so Augustine takes that, and specifically, he, he talks about this in his letters, uh, one letter in particular, where he dissects that definition, and he, he agrees with it, but he, as he would, takes it and adds the necessary theological lens to it, that if we're going to agree on all things human and divine, well, who's the one who's perfectly human and perfectly divine? Well, it's Jesus. And so we, we need to have agreement on things of of Jesus. And so while he stands on the shoulders of philosophical giants, if you will, if you will he really takes their thought and, and drills it down to where it needs to be theologically and for eternal truth, as far as friends can only truly be friends if they're friends in Christ. And uh, while I have friendships with people who are not believers, our friendship really can go, only go so far. Uh, and I think anyone could sit down and, and say, that, yeah, that's the case. I mean, when it comes to the topic of my faith and uh, what I believe, they're not going to be able to go there with me. I mean, they might be interested, they might want to talk about it, and it might be an opportunity for the, the gospel and the spirit, but uh, friendship kind of hits a wall, if you will. And therefore, uh, Augustine, in his, his value to this conversation, really is the first one to propose and develop a theology of friendship. And though he doesn't have a full treatise like some of these other philosophers do, it is woven throughout his life and in his writings to the degree that you see something different than what Cicero might have written or, or Plato. And one part in particular I'll mention that he, I think he really tries to draw this out is in book four of his Confessions, where he has a friend. They're both not Christians. Uh, he doesn't name this person, but he talks about the joy and just the, the, the way in which they found comfort in each other's friendship. And this person, uh, his unnamed friend, uh, falls gravely ill, almost to the point of death, to where his family 
uh, though I don't recommend this, <laughs> goes and baptizes him while he's unconscious, and he miraculously recovers. And when uh, Augustine approaches him, goes to his palace or whatever, and thinks that this is just going to be a matter of laughing it off, like, this is so silly that your family baptized you, how superstitious his friend is gravely serious about the fact that he is now, in his opinion, a Christian. Uh, he understands the significance of baptism, what that means. And uh, again, though I don't recommend that practice, the Lord used it to uh, bring about uh, a true conversion in this friend that uh, Augustine doesn't name, who goes on, who gets sick again and goes on to die. And Augustine is just racked with guilt, uh, or racked with uh, a sorrow, and uh, can't quite make out why he's so sorrowful. And he and Augustine can reflecting back on this as a Christian, he he sees now it's because he was investing uh, his heart into his friend in a way where his friend was ultimate. That friendship was the definition of of human uh, flourishing and, and and life and joy. And then that friendship goes away. And so he's just confused. And therefore, looking back, he realizes, oh, it's because we weren't in Christ together. Um, we weren't Christians together. He would still be sad. He would still be sorrowful. Augustine's not a stoic. He, he's one that would have emotion at the loss of friends, but it would be emotion that's ultimately directed towards uh, the culmination of, of that friendship in heaven, in the city of God, in, in the resurrection. So uh, that, that's how Augustine helps us think through that and why he's really, uh, apart from the classical tradition, really unique in some ways. Yeah. I know that's kind of the main thrust of the work here is you're kind of examining that relationship between spirituality and friendship that had often been kind of separated, but Augustine's in some sense kind of bringing them together, not baptizing friendship per se, but kind of seeing its ultimate end, its ultimate design and purpose. And one of the things that I love that you mentioned is kind of this unnamed friend. And I think all of us, including the listeners, probably have a friend or two um, in their lives that uh, they've been through the thick of it with, uh, whether it was pre-Christ or becoming a Christian or even while they are a believer, um, and seeing the way the Lord uses those friendships to kind of form us and shape us in, ter- in certain types of people. And so you've mentioned this unnamed friend, but one of the other friendships that you focus on a good bit throughout the work as well is his relationship with Jerome. Um, and I wanted to see if you could unpack that, because I think, as you rightfully note, some people have maybe some skewed understandings of their relationship and friendship. Um, but you talk about this kind of need for correction and love. And I think that's something that, especially in kind of modern ideas of friendship that become very transactional, uh, very kind of what's in it for me, almost very utilitarian in that sense, that idea of correction as love is something that we kind of balk against and push back against, especially in a lot of modern friendships. And so I wanted to see, can you unpack and kind of help describe a little bit of that relationship and then what role correction plays specifically in that relationship in Augustine's life? Sure. Yeah, that uh, there's been scholars who've written on Jerome and Jerome and Augustine's relationship and and have different perspectives on that. I've learned a lot from those and want to honor their work. I, I just feel like when when I read through the text, and of course there is a an epistolary tradition uh, that was prominent in late antiquity in the sense of like how you address certain people, how you uh, approach even someone who's an elder. And, and Jerome's not necessarily an elder. I mean, he's only a few years older than Augustine. It's not like he's this old man, although he uses that kind of language of sort of like, who are you, sonny boy, you know, to correct me. Uh, you know, it's kind of like really the difference between a older and younger brother as far as age goes, but that's beside the point. Yeah, it's this idea that uh, Augustine 
is approaching someone who is revered, someone who is well-known. They never met, uh, but they were in sometimes close proximity to one another. And this idea of saying, hey, look, I've, I've got some things I need to talk to you about. And specifically, there was some translation things that were coming up. Uh, Jerome's producing his Vulgate. You know, at the time, Christians, most Christians in the in the West, were using what's called the Old Latin, uh, just kind of a, a piecing together of Latin translations that came from the Septuagint. And uh, you know, Jerome being that first person that's trying to go back to the Hebrew and and, and other sources to translate. And so, either way, he's translating Jonah and some other books. And so, Augustine's kind of communicating, "Hey, look." Uh, you've changed some things here, and uh, some of my people are getting upset. Uh, they're used to hearing it this way, and then all of a sudden they have this new translation. So there's just this idea that then begins to foster other conversations, uh, other thoughts. And when I read Augustine, you know, some people might see him as flattering uh, Jerome, and I see it as more of an opportunity for a Christian brother to seek correction, uh, ask for correction, kind of come under a sort of opportunity to in some way, although this might not be the best word, to be mentored, uh, just at least to have a conversation that says, hey, I feel like we're equals. Can we talk? And uh, of course, uh, Jerome, depending on what you read in his life, he, he's, his temperament is a little bit different. Uh, he's a little bit testy in some ways, uh, maybe a little bit fickle <laughs> in some things. Uh, but all that being said is this idea of, of correction is a part of friendship. There is um, something to be said about wanting to hear hard things from someone uh, that you trust, hard things from someone that you believe has your best interest in mind. And so uh, later on in Augustine and Jerome's life, once the Pelagian controversy is taking place, uh, it's almost as if this conversation never happened. Uh, They're all of a sudden on the same page, or at least Jerome is very much on the same page with Augustine. Uh, They're working to combat this heresy that they feel like is very damaging to a view of salvation and, and Christian uh, life. And so it's just, yeah, so this instance of kind of early on is very interesting. And so I wanted to draw out this kind of idea that, again, uh, correction is is a part of friendship. It's a part of love. When you get flattery, it's not friendship. And that's that's represented in Augustine. That's also part of the classical tradition. So this was an example uh, from what I could see in his letters of, of Augustine attempting to do that. Now, one of the things we've talked a lot about here on the podcast is the relationship between theology and ethics. I know that's something we've talked a little bit about as well, but one of the things that we, when we do talk about that here on the podcast is how ethics is kind of all of life. Um, It's our response to God's revelation and and as he reveals himself, not only in creation, but specifically in the scriptures. And one of the things I found really interesting is you're talking about his theology of friendship is how that also kind of shapes his ethical and social thought as well, specifically about the nature of the family, uh, the nature of the church, and then specifically kind of engaging even civic life. I mean, you think more of kind of city of God and things like that. And so I wanted to see if you could kind of expand on that a little bit about how his theology of friendship, how it plays itself out in some of these other kind of spheres or these other kind of areas of life, including the family, the church, and then even kind of into our civic life. Sure. Yeah, I think that's something that's uh, a helpful application of Augustine's thought. Uh, he's got a lot to say uh, on a lot of different things. But uh, you, you mentioned marriage. In fact, uh, in his treatise on the good of marriage, friendship is the first thing that he discusses as foundational to a good marriage. Uh, and so that's helpful. I think that 
you build upon, must build upon friendship things, uh, the things of friendship to have a good, healthy marriage. Again, going back to this idea that he gets from Cicero and then you know, adds to in sense of, of having Christ as the center of your friendship. That's got to be the case for a Christian marriage. Uh, and that's got to be the most important thing for a Christian marriage. Um, but you also think about the idea uh, that he does look work through with certain civic individuals as far as friendship with others uh, in the civic sphere, in whether it's a community or, or a, yeah, just a small structure of, of, of people, citizens together, that friendship is the thing that will transcend disagreements, uh, that will uh, hopefully help frame up important conversations. Uh, the reason that someone has a certain policy position might be because they want to see people flourish. You may not agree with how they want that to be accomplished, but they see their desire to have other people uh, that they know and maybe they are seeking to serve have a, have a better life, have a better uh, family, whatever the case may be. And so I think a, a good application of that is not assuming the worst in other people, actually seeing someone else as a potential friend. And potential friends are not going to agree on everything. Yes, they want to agree on the basic things of human and divine, as Cicero and Augustine talk about. But they don't have to. They don't have to agree on everything. I mean, this is not a sort of Michael Scott, Dwight Schrute <laughs> sort of friendship, right? This is this is something that uh, you want to be challenged by. We're, we're not just here to agree with any, everything and shake our heads. And so, I think that's a helpful application uh, as well as in the church. Uh, we are a community of friends, uh, and not everyone's going to be your best friend. You're not ever always going to be with all the people in your church all the time, but if you see someone as a potential friend, as someone who's also a friend in Christ with you, then the possibilities and the opportunities for growth actually expand. And therefore, I think it's helpful, as Augustine demonstrates, that we need to be more open to seeing friendship as the possibility. Uh, and of course, we see in City of God how uh, we are going to have that experience of friendship to the highest degree the fulfillment of, uh, to where you know, that's going to be actually the relationship that defines us the most. I mean, Jesus talks about this too, when he's in confronting the Sadducees, you know, we're going to be like angels in heaven. Angels in heaven are not married. Uh, angels in heaven, uh, what are they doing? They're, they're serving, they're beholding. I'm not saying that we're going to be the angels, but thinking about how that is described, Augustine sees, and I think this is right, and Jesus essentially alludes to this, is that friendship is the thing that defines us. So if that's the thing that defines us most in heaven, though I have a full biblical complementarian view of, of marriage, that's not the ultimate. Uh, though I feel like I have a robust view of ecclesiology, it, it's pointing to something else. It's pointing to something higher. It's pointing to what's going to be the case in the new heavens and new earth. And so if that is what's going to be the defining relationship, if you will, friends with God, friends with one another. I mean, it would be important for us to think about that now and how we exhibit that in our day-to-day -day relationships, relationships with, none, uh, with, with other church members, political relationships, even just how we view other people on another side of the political spectrum. Let's think about being friends rather than enemies. Coleman, this has been a, a fascinating conversation so far, and I know we are kind of r quickly running out of time 
Um, but one of the things we always do uh, kind of at the end of the podcast is help provide some resources because it's one thing to talk about this book. We obviously encourage folks to go ahead and grab a copy of this, uh, Bond Between Souls by Coleman Ford uh, with Lexum Press. It's a very helpful work. It's also full of resources. Uh, being that this is a research project that you worked on, there are a ton of footnotes and also resources at the back. But one of the things that we like to do here on the podcast is kind of end with some recommended resources. So I want to ask you kind of a two-part question on this. One, for listeners who may say, hey, I kind of want to read some Augustine. You've mentioned his letters. You've mentioned City of God, Confessions, and others. What would be a good starting place? I think sometimes uh, figures like Augustine, given their pedigree and given their prestige um, and kind of their influence, can be quite intimidating uh, to pick up someone. But I think that's one of the things that I love about Lewis when he says, you know, he's writing that introduction to Athanasius, and he says, Sometimes reading them in their own words is actually easier than reading their modern interpreters uh, because they're they're actually clear. Uh, that's one of the things that why they've had such a lasting influence um, is because of their clarity of thought. Um, so, where would you recommend folks starting? One and then two. What are some other resources that you would say, hey, this is kind of helpful as a companion or as a guidebook or kind of on a specific topic with Augustine? Are there a couple of those type of resources that can help us to understand Augustine and his life better? Oh, sure. Well, as you mentioned, we, we've talked about a confessions that, that needs to be on every Christian's reading list uh, on a regular basis. It's a spiritual classic. I do my best to do a fresh reading every year. I've actually been able to do it a little bit more recently since I've had it uh, as required reading for a couple of my classes. So uh, the opportunity to, to read it multiple times, always finding something new in there, always uh, opportunity for uh, some even personal devotional reflection uh, so confessions, of course, uh, we'll just continue to ring that bell. And uh, besides the other things that I mentioned, I think it's really helpful for uh, readers of Augustine uh, who want to not be intimidated by him is to read some of his sermons. In particular, I really enjoy his sermons on the epistles of John. He's got a, I mean, First John's one of my favorite New Testament epistles, and Augustine's reflection on that is very helpful as a companion uh, and just as a standalone read. Uh, there's actually a volume uh, by Paulist Press uh, in a series called uh, Classics of Western Spirituality, and it's just Augustine of Hippo selected writings. And so it, it, it's primary sources, I mean, it's collection of things, so it, it dives into some confessions, it dives into places in his letters and in his sermons, and, and it's, it's geared more towards Augustine's spirituality. But I think that is a good, uh, if you want to pick up a volume, like a one-volume reader, uh, that's where I would start. And then you, you've got a smattering of things from Augustine in there. And then as far as secondary sources or just kind of related sources, there's so many good things, Jason. I mean, you know, you've got your bookshelves lined with stuff. I'm sure uh, I would love to recommend so many different things. A couple things that I would mention. One source that I think is very helpful on the conversation of friendship is by a man by the name of Paul Waddell, and it's called Friendship and the Moral Life. And what he does is he looks at the centrality of friendship for ethics. He, he looks at Aristotle, Aquinas, uh, Augustine, of course, and thinks about how friendship functions in our ethical uh, decision-making, in, in our ethical framework, uh, even just in a sort of uh, way of, of living in a day-to-day. -day. And he uses beautiful illustrations, personal illustrations. I had a chance to talk with him a couple times about it and have just really grown to love uh, that book it, it it trends more academic, but it's it's still readable. Uh, I had my undergrads read that this past term, 
Uh, and then something that has a more kind of church-based practical feel, if you will, uh, is Drew Hunter's Made for Friendship. Crossway put that out uh, maybe about four or five years ago now and uh, really uh, helps specifically maybe a church small group or just any interested lay Christian reader think about why friendship is, is really the defining relationship for a Christian uh, and how it impacts our other relationships, marriage, uh, motherhood, fatherhood, uh, or just being a, a good uh, member of the church. And so I would recommend Drew's book and a good read, potentially again for a, for a small group in church to figure out how friendship can be practiced. Uh, if I could just mention one more resource, I think that's super helpful, uh, just for understanding Augustine in general. There is a short biography, my goodness, you could seriously read it in a day if you wanted to, by Henry Chadwick. It's called Augustine, A Very Short Introduction. So if, again, going back to Augustine, if you just want to get the broad strokes, understanding of Augustine's life, uh, that short little book of Augustine, A Very Short Introduction by Chadwick would be a good place to go. Yeah, and I'll just highly recommend that whole series of the very short introductions. It's just a fabulous little series. Very, I mean, they are. They're very short introductions. They're very small. They're very quick reads. And a lot of them are audiobooks as well. Um, so if folks want to check that out. I want one quick hit at the very end. Is there a preferred translation of Confessions? Obviously, there are so many out there. I know you referenced kind of the New City Press kind of volumes, his entire collection and corpus. Uh, but is there a specific translation that you'd recommend listeners picking up? Yeah. Well, again, Henry Chadwick has done a translation. It's on the Oxford Classics series where they put out different works, uh, classic works of literature. Uh, that's a good one, uh, easy to read. Uh, there's almost always a new translation of Augustine out. Uh, there's one by a guy named Thomas Williams that came out on Hackett. Sheed uh, is one, another one on Hackett that's a little bit older. R.S. Pinecoffin on the Penguin Classic series. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Chadwick's translation is for the everyday reader where I would go. Well, for listeners' sake, we'll make sure to link to all of these resources in the show notes, as well as Coleman's new book, A Bond Between Souls, Friendship and the Letters of Augustine with Lexham Press. Uh, but Coleman, I just want to thank you so much, not only for uh, your ministry and teaching ministry, but specifically this conversation. It's been really thrilling, and I'm glad to have you out here on the podcast. Well, Jason, I'm happy to nerd out on Augustine anytime. So thank you for the invite, and I really do hope this has been helpful for your listeners. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen? These reviews really help us to know not only how we're doing, but also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Coleman and learn more about his new book, A Bond Between Souls with Lexham Press, as well as the recommended resources we talked about in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the weekly tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing issues of public theology, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can sign up at jasonfactor.com weeklytech. The Digital Public Square is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is produced and hosted by Jason Thacker. Production assistance is provided by Caden Christian and technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you and I hope you have a great week.